0: Fun Ideas Productions presents The Fun Ideas Podcast We see the Pacific Smiling lie of the televised Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 66. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics.
1: Hi, I'm George Takei, you know me as Helmsman Sulu on Star Trek. When I'm not busy going Warp Factor 8, I like to beam down to Lee's Comics and spend a lazy afternoon reading comics classics from Marvel to DC, from Dark Horse to Fantagraphics, and everything in between. So please, spend some time here at Lee's Comics and spend your hard-earned cash.
0: fun ideas podcast is made possible by listeners like you and from lee's comics of california selling you what your mother threw out since 1982 online at leescomics.com headquartered the timeline of the Monkey's solo years is out get it in paperback or hardback and soon as an ebook on baremanermedia.com or at amazon My co-author, Michael A. Ventrella, will be attending Beetlefest and selling and signing copies of it and our previous monkey book there. Uh, He will be attending at the end of March. I'm doing the final edits for the TTV scrapbook, and I will be turning it in soon. I just got the assignment to do articles for Back Issue Magazine on Hee Haw and on Sid and Marty Croft. Uh, The Warren Kramer book proof is back, and now we're doing final, final edits. I'm still working on my own Light Up Your Life travel agency, and of course, the Mad Book, and a possible new Disney book. He's written numerous books about comic books, and about Concord, North Carolina. He's also the editor of the long-running Back Issue magazine, and the newer Retrofan magazine. Here he is, Michael Urie. On the phone today, we have Michael Urie, who is editor of Back Issue and Retrofan. How are you today, sir? I am doing fine, Mark. How about you? I'm doing well. And uh, as I usually start out, I usually ask, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into comic books and becoming an editor of these publications and other books.
1: Well, I was lured into the world of comics... By Adam West. Wow. Uh, actually, the, my my love of uh, comics predated that. Uh, I'm, I'm 62 years old uh, today. Certainly so, mm-hmm. not today, but I've, I've been 62 <laughs> since my birthday, which was back in September. Okay. And uh, and so you know I'm old enough to be a you know, first generation Batman baby of the uh, mid 60s. <laughs> I was barely eight years old when that show came on, and so I was the prime demographic for it. I mean, I got swept away by it and swept into the World of superheroes, but quite frankly, I had been reading comic books before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom and dad were both uh, you know, readers of periodicals, and we made weekly trips to the newsstand when I was a child, and I continued that through adolescence, and even actually ended up working at that newsstand uh, after school wow. <laughs> in my high school years. Uh, and I was always straightening the comic book racks at that point. <laughs> but uh, I thought
0: you were going to so. say I was, I was stealing the comic book. No, just kidding. Oh, no, no, I was, uh, <laughs> (laughs) No, I don't think so. Uh,
1: And and so I just can't remember ever not having Mm -hmm. comics around. Uh, My parents bought them for me when I was a small child. At that time, the comics I would have been reading in, uh, say, early to mid-60s would have all been based upon the stuff I was watching on TV. So that would be Alvin and, um, you know, uh, Casper, (laughs) the the Harvey stuff. So, uh, yeah, and, and I... Probably read an issue of Superman because I knew Superman from the reruns of the fifties TV show, which was still heavily into syndication in the sixties when I was a child. But by the time Adam West, Burt Ward, and Batman, you know, came on January 12th, 1966, you know, that's a wonderful date, Uh, one of the the prime dates in my personal calendar, Uh, I again was just sucked into that world. It was just mesmerizing the color. Uh, I did not get the humor because it wasn't humorous to me back then. Yeah, you know, my parents would laugh, and I—that would just freak me out. I did not understand what was so funny about, you know, say Robin being held over a big frying pan or something. And, you know, I thought that was—that yeah, was pretty scary. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I. Did not. I, I went through my entire childhood and then even adolescence watching these uh, reruns. I never noticed Caesar Romero's painted over oh, wow. Joker. Actually, I never noticed it <laughs> until later. You know, <laughs> and it was actually in a book. I, I saw a picture, and, and it's like a young adult. I said, "Oh, wait a minute. That thing, that's that bristling thing that sticks right out." But never saw it as a kid. I bought into the fantasy of it all, and uh, and you know, and um, so I started reading Batman
2: comics. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I, I literally remember calling my father as an eight-year-old and asking him to stop by the newsstand and bring me a Batman funny book, as we called them back then, you know, and um, mm-hmm. he, he brought Detective Comics number 350 home with him that night, and it was an issue that had, of all things, a Joe Kubert cover. Kubert uh, didn't do a whole lot of Batman throughout really? his long and storied career, but... Um, yeah, he did the cover of this one. It was the Monarch of Menace. Did you remember that guy?
0: I think so, yeah. yeah. Isn't that the one with the puzzle on the cover, or no? Uh, where you had to uh, piece together. The, or is that a different one? Maybe I'm thinking of well, it. Was that was a different one. That was yeah. a different one, yeah.
1: This is a split cover. I, oh, okay. I do uh, remember it was like a, a two-panel cover, mm-hmm. uh, two long vertical panels, and uh, like a before and after thing. And the Monarch monarch of menace oh, I got tongue twisted on that uh, it was really like one of the lamest
2: uh, Batman
1: villains and it is actually one that you almost would have expected to be on TV right. uh, because it was just so lame but that would have been a you know, chance for say Bing Crosby to play uh, a Batman right. villain if that had happened but we uh, wish they never did now I think Magnus, well they missed out with him he would have been uh, kind of interesting uh, but,
0: uh, the pruner yeah but again <laughs> anyway, uh, <go> the pruner
1: <laughs> 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 I like that I like that a couple of years ago I pitched a, a comic book uh, series that uh, did not get picked up anywhere uh, and it was set in the, the camp age and uh, one of this, I won't name this characters, uh, because uh, maybe one of these days I will get a chance to do it. Mm. But w- one of his rogues gallery was Sinatra, <laughs> which was essentially fr- Frank Sinatra as Sinestro. Is I, just, I, don't know, I can't say that without laughing. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, long story short, and I've rambled on that answer. Um, <clears throat> Batman, lower me into Batman
2: comics. Mm.
1: And that was my Way to uh, DC, and so from Batman that led me into the Brave and the Bold, which of course introduced me to all the other DC characters, and then Justice League, and then of course Robin led me to Teen Titans, mm-hmm. and then before long um, the Marvel characters were on TV, mm-hmm. and uh, and then especially in '67 when the Spider-Man and Fantastic Four cartoons premiered, and at that point I got lured into those books and so there you go so but more or less so television still has largely been the uh, eye through which I initially saw uh, the world of superheroes so uh, I got into that and just read these things voraciously uh, and never stopped you know I mean I had a period or two where I might have tapered off a little bit but then I was always you know the siren call of comics called me back. And, oh,
0: uh, you're like me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I know. So you've had a couple of times where you've actually tried to walk away. And yeah, uh, but I never back. did. Yeah. Other people have, but no, I never did. <laughs> I think I did when I was around 13.
1: Uh, and, I mean, there was that natural process, I mean, back yeah. then. And uh, at that point, it was the early 70s. Um, yeah, they still kind of existed in, the, in a world where, the market share was still going for like 8 to 12 year old boys mm-hmm. and uh, and I just kind of aged out and I might have read an Archie or two at that point but then you know Neil Adams was really coming about on mm-hmm. Batman mm-hmm. and my younger brother who was eight years my junior? Who had kind of been indoctrinated into reading comics uh, was like bringing a Batman comic or two in the house and I had you know Neil Adams art like the first uh, Russell Ghul mm-hmm. issue, and and I saw that I said wow this is like this is some serious stuff so I got sucked right back in there I am again and uh, yeah as far as getting into the industry um, you know I was cartooning back in high school mm-hmm. drawing uh, and writing my own comics. Mm. Uh, largely starring superheroes that were my classmates
2: and uh,
1: yeah, I, I would get into trouble uh, because a comic book would get passed around class and some kid would be laughing and uh and then they'd see it, and it's got you know my name on it and you know, my handiwork, so I'm the one to go to the
0: principal's office, I, even though I wasn't the one laughing in class. But you know, uh, So the principal would smile and
1: say, you've got some talent, but just make sure that you don't you know, pass these things around in class, yes, sir, and then until the next time it happened. But, uh, you know.
2: Oops. <laughs>
1: but uh, I ended up... And growing up in North Carolina, there really wasn't a clear career path back in the 70s mm. for a guy who wanted to work in the comic book business like I did. Mm. And, and back then, everything was headquartered in New York, which is, might have well been Mars uh, to a kid in small town North Carolina. So I followed the siren call of my other love, which was music. And I was a trombone player and uh, mm. got a music degree. In college, and became a band director very shortly, and I, I hated it. Yeah. Uh, it. It just wasn't for me. <laughs> it just wasn't for me, and I realized pretty bad that my heart uh, pretty excuse me soon that my heart wasn't into teaching. Mm. And so, stumbled for years until I found my way into the comic book industry. Um, yeah, starting my writing for fanzines like Amazing Heroes, and then finally. <laughs> Doing some stuff, you know. Uh, I know your passion and your your historical knowledge for uh, animated properties, mm-hmm. and the first few gigs I had writing for comics were for animated properties. Um, uh, the first couple were unpublished. Uh, <laughs> Spotlight comics, you remember
0: Spotlight? From yeah, they did 80s, a couple 80s. underdogs or something like that. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I wrote one uh, Mighty Mouse story. Okay. Uh, they were doing, a, they did a straight Mighty Mouse comic, mm-hmm. but then they were doing another one that was going to be based on the Ralph Bakshi cartoon of that era. And I wrote uh, a, a story featuring the cow, which is yes. a great villain. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and it, it was, uh, you know, it got approved by Ralph Bakshi. And, um, and but they did not, Published that issue, and uh, upon the merit of that, uh, the editor Jim Maine uh, had me write an underdog story, and I loved underdog, mm-hmm. and um, but and that wasn't
0: published, mm. um, <laughs> and
1: so they, they 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 weren't around for long, as you
0: right call. right
1: yeah. Were you reading those back in the day?
0: Yeah, I got everything that I could find back then. Uh, <laughs> I'm still that way now, but it's like American mythology's te- kind of has grabbed all those characters so i try to get as many of those as i can nowadays so
1: yeah yeah and uh, they're doing a a good job with that i wish underdog were published a little more frequently
0: yeah well yeah that's my only reservation about them is that they kind of have sporadic and erratic (laughs) publishing schedules on all their characters and it's like it's hard to find them all you know and things like that but I get them. <laughs> <If> I can. <laughs> but, but still, overall, I mean, I think in
1: 2020, we're lucky that you could still get an underdog comic book. True. <laughs> true. <I'll do. laughs> yeah, even if you only get one every nine months or so, right. you know, that's still better than none at all. But uh, the actual first comic book uh, story that bore my credit was, I guess, when it came out in '87. Uh, it was Peter Porker the Spectacular Spider-Ham. Um, okay. <laughs> but it wasn't in, it wasn't in Spider-Ham's own comic by that point. The Star Comics line and everything for Marvel had gone away, but Peter Porker was popular enough for them to keep him alive as a backup series oh, that's in right. Marvel
2: Tales. Right.
1: Yeah, so I wrote I wrote a handful of those and I am very proud to say that I created the Punfisher. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here it is like 87, 88, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and at that point, I, I'm also an editor at Comico, mm-hmm. the comic company in Norristown, Pennsylvania, and I found my way up there to um, the Philadelphia region for that job and um, it was still writing some Spider-Ham stories. And, <laughs> you know, the Punisher Punisher's really hot in the late 80s and mid to late 80s. And so I asked Jim Salicrup, the, uh, the editor of Marvel Tales, I said, could I do a takeoff of the Punisher? Uh, as long as he didn't kill anybody? He says, sure. So, Alan Kupperberg, the late Alan Kupperberg, was the artist. And I said, let's just do Charlie the Tuna and dress him up like the Punisher. And, you know, he shot uh, scallops and electric eels out of his guns, you know. So, I mean, nothing was lethal. But what fun that was, you know. So, I couldn't, I was, you know, I, my, my roots were in that stuff. And I, I still love it and wouldn't mind returning to some of that. Um, You know, one of these days I wrote the uh, cartoon version of The Mask Hmm. when I was at Dark Horse Comics.
0: Yeah, Um, remember that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but again,
1: um, how I got into editing these magazines, I mean, I wanted to, yeah, I I never was a good enough artist to really be a professional artist, and editing just seemed to be a way to, I mean, in 1987, I remember my wife telling me I, 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 I was trying to be an artist and a writer and and a journalist, and I, I was also wanting to be on Saturday Night Live, and I was a comedy troupe and all that stuff. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and she said, you know, honey, you need to just focus on one thing. And so um, there were a couple of assistant editorial jobs that I knew were open. Because I had started to make some contacts with people in the industry through amazing heroes when I was writing for them, and uh, inquired simultaneously to Kimiko and to DC, and uh, DC had just hired uh, Renee Witterstetter to be Mike Carlin's assistant, hmm. and but I kind of got in the loop for the next hiring phase there. And uh, but Diana Schutz at Kimiko called me and she said, "You're literally punctuation mistakes so I'd like to call you in for an interview and I went in and you know in a couple of weeks I was there (laughs) as an assistant editor so that was pretty cool and I I learned a great deal from her. She was amazing.
0: Mm -hmm. Now how did you get involved from that point to getting involved with Tomorrows and all their publications? Well, you see, I spent a couple years
1: at Kimiko, uh, a few years at D.C., and then went out west to Portland, Oregon for Dark Horse Comics, and uh, was a group editor out there. And uh, and so I logged, you know, for a better part of a decade or so, uh, you know, editing at uh, three companies, uh, one of them major. And then... Of factors, including uh, an adult onset hearing loss that was uh, I really hadn't dealt with back then, uh, largely in a state of denial and some degree of depression about it. Uh, these factors started to come into play too and started to uh, make it more difficult for me to do the traditional desk job um, because I wasn't hearing normally. Uh, I was missing things, um, misinterpreting things,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, because my hearing was wrong. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: And again, I, and, you know, and uh, yeah, when you have a hearing loss, you can get some help in amplification. Hearing aids do not restore your hearing to what would be normal, but they improve it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and plus I needed some kind of at- attitudinal adjustment because I was really down to the dumps over my hearing loss in particular, but uh, I sort of walked it out of comics in the um, early 2000s. Uh, and at that point, you know, going back to the funny animal stuff, um, I was still, i uh, say so I had been writing in the mid 90s uh adventures of the mask for dark horse which was based on the animated version of the mask uh and then i was doing a lot of looney tunes stories for dc
0: mm-hmm.
1: or uh actually for warner brothers worldwide publishing which publishes it through dc did the old and did dull pinky in the brain and i even wrote uh some flintstones for uh archie comics when they had that uh-huh. license but did a Mr. Magoo story too <laughs> but by the time the early 2000s came around I was just uh I, I just was not getting much work and and uh kind of aged out of the comics mainstream and uh was working a job as a communications director at a small organization in Oregon
2: uh-huh.
1: and uh, and I just kind of was un- creatively unfulfilled and um Of a friend uh, or suggestion of a friend, uh, there was a history of Captain Action, Mm -hmm. which was a beloved toy of mine as a child, uh, the original superhero action figure. Excuse me. And uh, it was going to be published by a different company uh, from the person who encouraged me to write the book, but uh, he could not uh, publish it. And then it Sort of sat there, and of course it kind of soured me against it. Well, great, you know. I, I thought I kind of had a you know a new door <laughs> reopened uh, for me to get back into the fold, but then uh, Tom Stewart, uh, who is a uh, friend and uh, you know creative person who lives in Seattle, and uh, I at that point had not met him, but knew him uh, through the miracle of the internet, which was sort of burgeoning at that time in the late 90s. Um, He said, you ought to contact two Morrow's and see if John Morrow would like to publish it. Hmm. And I did, and And he did. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs)
1: And yeah, and so yeah, John published that and uh, his wife, Pam, designed it. And that was a really good uh, effort. It was a great book. Uh, It uh, it was a slow seller, but a consistent seller, and uh, it just got I'm proud to say uh, great feedback Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Uh, and that was wonderful and so I had this relationship and so I asked John seeing that at that point and now we're in the what like 2003 around Mm -hmm. there 2002, Mm -hmm. 2003, the early 2000s -hmm. um, asked John Morrow uh, what do you think about a book about my former boss at DC Comics Dick Giordano Mm. Because one thing I I didn't mention earlier is, yes, I was an editor at DC, but for a year I was Dick Giordano's assistant, so I worked in management with him and just formed a close bond with him, and uh, he became a mentor and a friend, and so uh, John said, sure. Uh, that, was, that, that would be a great book. So mm. I flew from Oregon. And my wife came along with me uh, because she was friends with Dick, too, from back in those days. And we flew down to um, Florida, where Dick had retired, mm. and spent a week with him and uh, interviewed him and got to go through his archives. And it was just a wonderful process. So I went back and wrote that book. And so then, uh, Tomorrow's had been publishing... John B. Cook's comic book artist. Right. And John had taken that to a different publisher, Top Shelf. Mm -hmm. And there was a vacancy on John Morrow's uh, publishing calendar for a comics journal. And um, he had the title back issue in mind and a couple of the features therein, uh, rough stuff. (laughs) The Pencil Art Showcase and uh, Greatest Stories Never Told. And he contacted me He said, you know, we've had a good relationship with these two books. And he said, you know, you're always on time and Mm -hmm. and do good work. And he said, would you consider this? And uh, I said, yeah. So uh, we started that in late 2003 and here we are, you know, in 2020. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, man, like, wow. I I I feel blessed. I really feel blessed that the magazine is still going strong. We won an Eisner Award last year. You know, uh, that's just wonderful. I mean, it's in my office, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's it's, it's, it's a. Sh- uh, sorry, I don't know if you heard an, a beep there. Yeah,
0: but, I heard a uh, little beep. That's okay. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Uh,
1: yeah, but uh, that Eisner was uh, just fabulous, and uh, it's. <sighs> I, I mean, uh, we've
0: been nominated two other times. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I was going to say, was it nominated before? I thought it was because it, I've been yeah, writing for yeah. a long time for it myself. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, I really
1: try not to focus on that. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, to me, that's that's gravy. My my award, and it sounds cliched. I mean, I, but <laughs> it's true. My re- reward is just. To be able to work on this magazine, to get these oral histories and then these nostalgic studies, um, the stuff that I grew up with, mm-hmm. that the readers grew up with, but but it's not just it's not just stoking the fires and flames of nostalgia. It's you know looking at the material, and you do this with your wonderful you know source books on animation and and pop culture too. Uh, it's looking at this material through the lens of adult. Wisdom and intellectual curiosity. Right. It's it, yeah. You're getting the stories behind the stories. So yes, yeah. yeah, making you feel like that eight year old you were when you watched that first Underdog cartoon. But you're also learning about those people who created it. And and uh, and a lot of these guys were essentially and, and I, I'm, I'm obviously preaching to the choir with, with <laughs> you but uh, for anybody who would be listening to this um they probably know this too but they they were unsung during their careers right. there, there weren't a, a lot of um uh, mechanisms out there that would celebrate them their work uh and and, and give them a pat on the back right. And and especially a lot of these uh
0: How many issues? I know there's over 100, but I forget where we're at. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, issue 119 comes out in March. Okay. So, uh, yeah, and right now I'm already planning up to like 129, 130. Oh, wow. And Yeah, yeah. And, and I, you know, sort of like the, <laughs> pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, you know, like the, the, the wonderful Wizard of Oz. I, I've, I've got all these plans, and I plan ahead. Uh, I don't let my writers yourself included (laughs) know about what's coming down the pike until it's at a point when I know I can manage a dialogue because I just can't really get into I don't have the time to get into creative you know discussions about something that's going to be published two years from now even though I kind of know two years from now we're going to do this right um yeah, so uh, it's just a time management thing, quite frankly, and if I started, and I'm also, you know, even though I'm a professional and a grown man, I'm still a kid at heart, and so sometimes it's easy to get distracted by that shiny thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so
1: if I knew two years from now I'm going to do an issue based on something I absolutely adore, uh, I still have to think, Michael, you got to wait. And you will get there. Or if you want to work on it quietly in your, you know, free time, uh, do it. But don't work on that thing two years from now because it you know, really strikes that chord with you when you've got all these other things in front of you that are going to be published more immediately. So it's just uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, you've been doing this for a while. I know You manage a number of things. You just have to discipline
0: yourself. Right. And 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 you know what your goalpost is. That's the deadline.
1: And, and you just get it done. And um, you now when the deadline comes, you turn it in. Right. And then you, you're on to the next one. And and that's the nature of the job. And it's just, you know, it's, it's interesting because there have been some people who are just vastly, much more talented than I, who uh, probably have stumbled and not really been able to maintain a toehold <laughs> in uh, the comics or creative arts businesses because of the difficulty and just, the discipline of it, and and keeping the trains on time. Right. Even if you're an artist, you know you got to keep the pages flowing, or else you don't work. Um, and l- unless you're just a, an absolute superstar who can get paid very handsomely for you know, doing a portrait of this or that, and some people can, and that's wonderful for them. Right. But not me. <laughs> you know, I've got to. <laughs> I've got to keep cranking. So uh, yeah, yeah, got to keep working. Well, I, might, I love it. I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah. On my end, I was going to say, you know, yeah, I do the research and everything. It It's harder for me sometimes, but it's a challenge, you know, if it's a topic that I don't normally talk about. Like, this one was way back, but I did one on Atomic, uh, not Atomic Mouse, what am I talking about? Uh, Astro Boy. And I think you assigned that one to me way back when. And oh, yeah, I knew yeah. a little bit about Astro Boy, but I never read any of the comics, and I had seen the cartoons 100 years ago, and it's like, oh, geez, this is going to be tough. <laughs> didn't let it show, you know, and I did my research and I got the interviews and everything, so I still will pull it off unless, you know, it's never been a case where I said, Michael, I can't do it. (laughs) Give it to somebody else. I don't want to do that unless absolutely necessary i don't think i've ever had a case like that but that one was a tough one um but i'm curious so i i do this research or i have the article written and i turn it in what is the step-by-step that you do afterwards without revealing topics and everything but you know it seems like you're very well planned ahead so you know what take us through back issue or retro fan just how you plan an issue and what you do
1: well there um different for each of the two magazines. So let's start with back issues since we've been talking about that one. you know, each issue of Back Issue is thematically structured. So, uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, you know, the, the issue that I'm working on right now, we're proofreading it, it's been designed, uh, is issue 121, Conan and the Barbarians, as a theme, and it's, it's commemorating the 50th anniversary of Marvel's publication of Conan number no. 1 by Roy Thomas and Barry Smith, now Barry Windsor Smith. Right. And, and so that was just a subject matter that, I mean, I read some of those, but I never was really a big... Uh, fan but I still learn. This is the cool thing about the magazine too. When, uh, there are enough writers. I'm fortunate there too. Like people like you. I mean, I, you know, I've got like some 60, 70 writers in our overall pool and and usually we're going to find at least one guy out there or gal who <laughs> is passionate about a subject. I mean, every now and then I say like, I want to put so and so in the magazine like uh, there's like you know, tumbleweeds are rolling, <laughs> and then you hear the crickets chirping. Like nobody knows about it, and that's a challenge because um, <laughs> I still want to ultimately cover everything. I mean, literally, right. I want to cover every single comic that was published in the Bronze Age. We will eventually get there if we can. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah. But anyway, the the way an issue rolls around is uh, I I will come up with a theme, or someone will suggest a theme, and. What I tend to do now, and over time, I've taken a little stronger editorial reins with this, but I often will look at our um, timeline, which is you know essentially the Bronze Age and beyond. So I I still like to anchor it in the '70s, '80s, and now we kind of you know are inching more into the early to mid '90s because that really is (laughs) kind of far back now, too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's certainly not recent like it was uh, 17, 18 years ago when we started the the magazine. But uh, after the theme is chosen, um, then I go through the index to, and I do have kind of a loose index uh, and flip through some past issues to just refresh myself with what we've already done. Mm. Don't repeat ourselves, uh, and and then it generally we'll offer to the writing pool the chance to propose uh, articles or throw out pitches for the different topics that that generally I offer there. Sometimes they come into me over the transom uh, or through dialogues with uh, with writers. Mm-hmm. Um, and every now and then there is a topic that I know I want to cover, where there's a go-to writer. I mean, case in point with you, an underdog. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're going to do uh, an issue for 2021 that's you know based on uh, you know TV Tune characters, and um, it uh, I didn't even consider opening the floor uh, for underdog. I just knew that you were perfect for that, and uh, unfortunately, I, you know, I emailed you and you said yes. So, uh, <laughs> boom, there we go. It's, uh, that one's locked in. So that's that's how sometimes when you get these messages and the other, if anybody else listening to this is one of the back issue writers, they they see the emails they're sent out just to the email writing staff or pool, and uh, it says you know the theme of back issue 120 three is superhero romance, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know, I have a couple of things already there uh, that may be assigned due to previous discussions or whatever. I mean, occasionally I've had these really passionate uh, in, uh, appeals from writers, I really <laughs> want to do this, and the reason I'm the best for it is because I have known this creator for, you know, 20 years, whatever, and every now and then that's that sways me yeah okay yeah you've, you've got the inside track Let's, you can do it right. um, okay. but uh, I, then uh, I open up the floor for the pitches from the writers and they send in their proposals and then I you know basically ha- I read them all and try to consider who's going to be the best fit for that um, and, uh, and then I make the assignments and we move on to the next issue and uh, so I manage it that way um, and and Really, with each issue too. Even though there is a theme, I try not to let it be too heavy in one direction. Um, Every now and then, though, there's a theme that is just so exclusive that it kind of uh, exclusive. Let me let me rephrase that. I'm getting tongue twisted here. A theme that will just exclude the inclusion of. Something that's not firmly anchored to the theme itself, um, and that would be in the case of, uh, say, issue 119, is Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I briefly toyed with the idea of throwing in a Guardians of the Universe article into that, just to throw a little DC content in there, and doesn't not make it all Marvel specific. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Issue was actually uh, presented to me by uh, a fellow who's just done a wonderful amount of uh, work and in interviewing, like everybody who's you know produced a Guardians comic going back to uh, uh, the early days uh, hmm. uh, through the Jim Valentino series of the '90s, and uh, then more contemporary work with say Keith Giffen. And so I have these, you know, three sections: um, Bronze Age. Copper Age and Modern Age of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy interviews that he provided, and sandwiched in between them are histories of Rocket Raccoon and Star Lord, both characters who started, you know, independent of the Guardians and actually had, you know, kind of a healthy amount of stories published about them in the Bronze Age of Comics. So, Mm -hmm. um, with each issue, though, essentially, again, the writers get a chance to make their pitches, and, and I already have some material I want to see there, and and I just keep that process moving forward. You know, we're now under, like, the 18th year of production of this magazine, and and I still have a folder full of... Ideas of for future themes, and, and and they get suggested to me on the Facebook page. Uh, and every now and then, one of the writers will say, "Well, have you ever thought of a so-and-so issue?" And uh, and wow, no. And when when people do suggest that, I also you know give them you know credit inside the magazine and have a cop copy sent them as a thank you for their uh, creativity and their participation. Now, RetroFan fan is a whole different story. Um, <laughs> We haven't mentioned it other than just by name in this conversation, but, you know, Retrofan is essentially um, a magazine that is now in its second year, uh, actually now in its third year, and we premiered, wow, <laughs> in, you know, mid-2018. Uh, I think
0: so, issue 7 uh, we, was we, the <laughs> last one I saw, I don't know, issue 7? Yeah, I don't know. Uh,
1: yeah, issue 8 is now coming out oh, okay, uh, this, okay. this one in a couple of weeks, yeah bi-monthly so oh, okay. there will be more
2: okay. <laughs>
1: but you know our, our mandate here is to uh, celebrate the, the crazy cool culture you grew up with which is um, you know, mainly 60s 70s 80s although now I'm starting to flirt a little bit with the 50s too because there's some iconic stuff <laughs> there like the adventures of Superman and uh, Sheena mm-hmm. Uh That also had legs in later generations. Uh, I said legs and Sheena in the same sentence.
2: uh,
1: (laughs) But uh, anyway, um, and there, the content is largely dictated by my editorial discussions with my columnist because there are six regular columnists there, uh, myself included in the number um, who sort of have their departments. You know, Andy Mangels does uh, Mm -hmm. Retro Saturday Morning and um, yeah, uh, Scott Saavedra, who is also the designer, does his uh, Secret Sanctum which he covers all kinds of stuff. You never know what he'll cover. I mean, he did one on Letters that his dad made him write to celebrities uh, <laughs> when he was a kid, and so from Neil Armstrong, you know, and Jack Kirby. I mean, come on, I mean, <laughs> what fun stuff! Uh, and um, we have uh, Ernest Farino, Ernie Perino He's an Emmy-winning, uh, you know, Cylipan effects director, and uh, he often handles monsters and sci fi, but every now and then he'll steer into other directions. He wrote this great behind the scene piece on um, The Dick Van Dyke Show oh, yeah. in awesome. uh, June 7. Yeah, that was wonderful. And he actually provided some you know, behind the scene photographs in color. I mean, come on. That was weird.
2: <laughs> that was
1: really weird to see what the Petri's living room looked like in color. That was just. Yeah, I mean, it's like you're on Earth 2 or something, yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you know, Scott Shaw does his Oddball World, and um, and
0: uh, who am I forgetting? I'm embarrassed now. Uh, 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 Sean Clancy uh, said he's done stuff for it. Sean Clancy? <laughs>
1: Yeah, Sean's done some interviews. He's not one of the regular columnists, but I have enough for people. And I I knew that one day you will rotate into uh, this magazine. That just uh, we'll find the right topic for you. uh, Oh, excuse me, Will Murray. Oh yeah,
0: that's right.
1: uh, Yeah, Will Murray. He um, he likes to really research um, the origins of uh, pulp and comic characters as well. And he's of course very well versed at that as a historian. Also, he writes a lot of these characters in novels. Mm -hmm. But he also does. TV shows too. I mean, he, he's done for the uh, next issue to come out, issue eight, the new issue. He, he did a great piece on Honey West.
0: Oh, wow! <laughs>
1: which, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that uh, one season show with Aunt Francis of '66 uh, to '67, which is really kind of trailblazing. Um, you know, a female Private Eye, and uh, and it actually did pretty well in the ratings. But it turns out that ABC ended up opting for uh, bringing over uh, the. British import the adventures, uh, and so Diana Rigg, the delightful and wonderful Diana Rigg sort of out Honey West, uh, <laughs> Honey West <laughs> uh, on the air on ABC. But uh, you know, so we get to cover all this other stuff outside of comics, although we flirt with comics a little bit in retro fan, and um, that one is a at times a little more of a. Challenge to, to put together, um, just because of deadlines and such. But yeah, you know, I it, every issue. We still come out on time. I'm uh, you know thankful that things move along smoothly, and and I'm learning so much there. And I get to interview and meet people too. Um, yeah, I'm working on. Uh, I, I've established a relationship with a wonderful gentleman named Martin Grams Jr. Oh, I know him. Do you
0: know? Yeah. Yep.
1: Like, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, and he runs the uh, Mid Atlantic Nostalgia mm-hmm. show in uh, the Baltimore area in mid to late September each year. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were there last year with Retrofan and Tomorrow's, and I got to interview. Uh, uh, Jerry uh, Rachel, who played uh, Fake Jan, you know, in the Brady Bunch Variety (laughs) Hour, and she's she's wonderful, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know. uh, And she and I hit it off. Great interview. So there's a Fake Jan (laughs) Brady interview coming up in Retro Fan, and uh, the and Retro Fan was just a big hit there. And Mm -hmm. so uh, through Martin, we've kind of formed this relationship, and um, you know, he's we're just doing kind of cooperative ventures and uh, I'm getting more of an opportunity now to work with them to uh, get access to some of the celebrities there for interviews for retro fans so I can't name any specifics at this point but there are a number of people who will be coming to his shows that will also be appearing in retro fan interviews and I'm excited about that and one of them uh, I've been speaking with this person's um, publicist over this week and if it uh does happen. It's going to be a great uh, great interview and a great cover and one that will excite a lot of people who grew up in the 60s and 70s. It's somebody that they absolutely Ooh. love and you, you <laughs> notice that I went through this and did not even mention a gender, so ha ha ha. Uh, I'll just let you try to figure that out who it is, but uh, yeah, if it, if it, I, I really hope it happens.
0: But, now, now do so, you get time to yeah. with all, doing two magazines and now uh, you said retro fan going bi-monthly do you still have time to do books i mean you did like hero a go-go which i think is kind of like the precursor to retro fan <laughs> in a certain respect uh but do you have time to do anything else or it's just the magazines now
1: well right now it's mainly the magazines yeah. um I yeah, Hero Gogo was my last book, and it was sort of a precursor to Retro Fan. Uh, Retro Fan magazine itself was an idea that had been in mind, although not with that name. It was just sort of sort of had the um, the blanket working title of Retro Magazine, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's something I wanted to do going as far back as 2012, (laughs) but. Uh, this, uh, it was just a matter of timing. Uh, it, it wasn't... Quite right. Back then, for a couple of reasons, and after doing Hero A Go Go, after spending a year of immersion into <laughs> rereading those old candy comic books and watching Space Ghost and you know Hercules, you know cartoons, of Mighty Hercules and, and and Captain Nice and and uh, and then listening to the monkeys and the Calvils and the <laughs> Beatles and you know watching Lost in Space and all this other stuff, it it primed me for a retro fan and Scott Saavedra was the designer of Hero a Go-Go and he and I just formed a great relationship Mm -hmm. and I remember after he delivered the layouts of Hero a Go-Go I said, you know, Scott, man, thank you for bringing my childhood to life he said, what do you mean your childhood is my childhood too, (laughs) man (laughs) and so he gets it and so that's kind of the attitude we have with uh, retro fan, we're just just loving it, but you know, it's again, it's more than nostalgia. I mean, uh, you know, people just dig up all this trivia and behind the scenes stuff. So the challenge I have there though, is it's a little more, uh, general audience skewed than back issue. I can afford to be a little more niche, you know, Oriented and back issue and go into some of the, you know, the realm of uh, the true fanboy or the true OCD collector. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, with Retrofan, I still have to remember that, yes, we are distributed on the newsstand mm-hmm. at Barnes and Noble, and now I hear we're making it into you know, some books a million, so that's good because we are finding some readers that way. Yeah. And, and, and that's great. It's riskier because we have to produce more copies that uh, generally get returned.
0: few books now I don't need to do it anymore yeah it's tiring
1: you know what it's like you've got a ton of research to do
0: <laughs> <I'm> like, yeah. <laughs>
2: but there you go. But, you know, but still, a chapter on jungle comics, a chapter
1: on uh, future monkey super, monkey super villains. I mean, but still, there's kind of a narrative there that threads it all together, and um, so you really kind of have to have that, I think, for these books to really sort of hold up. And. <laughs> it, that takes a, a, just a lot of work, and I'm just not working as many hours as I used to. Right. I, I'm certainly not retired, <laughs> but I will gleefully admit that I'm in a bit of a stage of, uh, you know, semi-retirement. I yeah. work a solid, uh, not quite full-time day, and uh, and. Uh, I still would like to write, though, uh, and I wouldn't mind writing some, you know, comics and other creative projects again, and I talk about it, and I talk about it to my wife, and she probably rolls her eyes and say, well, then do it, but then again, if I did it, then she and I wouldn't be playing Scrabble or taking those walks along the river uh, like we do now, so, uh, you know, I just feel that if it's intended to be, I, it, it'll, it'll happen at its yeah. natural course, and, yeah. and, and, and they'll, but I, I probably do have a couple more books uh, in me, but uh, they're not going to happen overnight <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: um i will say this and i don't think you even know this is like i mentioned that i helped out as it were on the comics gone ape i have to admit i have to admit when i got a copy of it in the mail and you said thank you i was like what did i do on (laughs) and then i saw the cast for king kong cover and i go okay it was something to do with that i'm sure but (laughs) It was one of those ones where, wow, I, I didn't even, you know. So I was kind of half joking, where I was like, I helped out on that one. I helped out, more, I helped more out on the Hero Gogo. I know you did ask me a few questions, and I think I contributed yeah. a few facts and s- pictures and stuff like that. So I'm happy about it. And you that. did.
1: I, I, I appreciate that yeah. too. And as and that illustrates too, is I, I, I really do try to, you know. Uh, as you know, these these projects are team efforts, right. and uh, and uh, when you do yours and when I do mine, I mean we're the guys with our names on the spine, I guess, of the book, uh, and on the byline, mm-hmm. and uh, as uh, as the author or you know editor, um, you're sort of the captain, mm-hmm. but it is a team, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and I always you know do my best to you know give credit. Uh, where credit is due, and uh, you know, send uh, a comp or have a, send, a comp sent uh, right. to people. Because yeah, it's, it's just I think if it were solely resting on the laurels of one individual, it would be uh, it would <laughs> that's like an Atlas type uh, you know <laughs> shrug fest. Right. That would be really difficult to do because <laughs> and, and most people, as you know, as you have been, and and I, I know that um, I mean I contributed uh, a quote or two to your cracked. You know, oh, yeah. I mean it's, uh, this is we're all here to help each other out and and just make sure that all this material is archived and I just hope that you know when we're all gone that somebody's going to care uh, I really do um, that they that this I mean I, I'm happy that we're leaving these archives behind <laughs> if this will work but I just you know I don't know as the world changes I mean is there going to be uh, are there going to be people in the future who are going to be curious about you know Adam West as Batman and yeah and Mighty Mouse uh well, I I hope so well, I really hope so. It was
0: Andy Mangels who I interviewed a few podcasts ago, you know, and he said if If we don't get it down, nobody's going to get it down, you know, and it's like, well, that's true, you know, and so, you know, we just have to hope for the best that some future researcher will go back, it's like, what were they talking about in the late uh, 20th century, early 21st century about this stuff, you know, (laughs) it's like, oh, there's like real details here, we're not, we don't have to guess, you know, as to why there was, you know, using your uh, story idea, you know, uh, you know, why there was social consciousness in comic books in the late 60s, it's all laid out here by Michael Yuri in his book, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, I mean, no,
1: that's really true. You know, Andy's right, and you're absolutely right about that, yes. And, and it, it's important for us to, to leave this body of work behind. I think that just because of everyone's dependence upon social media that has bred a culture of laziness, and, and uh, yeah. I'm, I've been guilty of this, too. It's, yeah. it's easier just, uh, you know, to, to Google something and and then get your answer. And then I mean... <laughs> Okay, the the week that, okay, today you and I are talking here in February, and it's been, this past week has been dizzying as far as political news is concerned because we've had the (laughs) acquittal of President Trump at the conclusion of the impeachment trials. We've had uh, the State of the Union. We've had the uh, very divisive. You know, reactions to that we've had uh, the president's reactions to uh, his acquittal, and we've had the Iowa caucuses and the uh, you know just the fiasco that the tabulations have been you know regarding the vote, and it's just been all over the place. But. In a way it, to me on this Sunday after all of this that we're speaking, it feels like the impeachment was about a month ago, right? And the State of the Union was, uh, you know, uh, about three months ago, and, and it's only a matter of days. Right. So my point is, yeah, you know, we've all got very <laughs> short attention spans today, and stuff happens so quickly, and social media gives us this tremendous immediacy where I think everybody is just primed for you know instant gratification. Okay got that solved, move on to the next thing. So it is very easy to fall prey to underinformation and misinformation, right. no matter how well-intentioned you are. And so when you're seeking out something and you get that quick answer, then okay, that's fine. And what happens today is people who are well-intentioned will make all these posts and write these blogs. And, and, and I've done it a couple of times, too. I've, I've shared... Uh, incorrect information uh, because I found it and it seemed to be credible, and then you share it, and then later you realize that it was wrong. Yeah. And so at, at least I, you know, what I'm talking about. At yeah. least with back issue and retro fan, I'm fortunate enough to be published regularly and have a forum, at least in the letters columns or an editorial, where I can you know apologize and then correct the record. Right. But you know, there's just so much stuff that just gets posted yeah. that then gets shared and then gets believed and and now even politically we're bombarded by misinformation and there are you know and I'm going to try to say what I'm about to say without casting any aspersions on either party (laughs) Um, but there's misinformation from the left misinformation from the right there is stuff that's created out there to keep Americans arguing Constantly, hmm. and uh, we can't agree on anything. And uh, we like to blame it on Congress, but man, it's the average person. I mean, come on! How, what kind of battles have we seen over even Marvel and DC movies in recent years? <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, and people hate each other over this, yes. stuff, and I just don't get that. You know, right. I mean, we are lucky to live in a day to be able to choose between like what six or seven different superhero TV shows yeah. and to have all this stuff in the movie theater and the fact that people hate each other over uh, this and that I just I don't get that <laughs> I don't get that I wish our culture could lighten up a little bit about that and just be thankful that we've got all this stuff you don't have to love at all.
2: Right. but just because
1: somebody doesn't like it doesn't mean that they hate you the identity politics and identity entertainment culture where if you don't love or what I love or think the way I think politically then you've insulted me that to me is crazy yeah. that is just, we, we we need to stop that yeah. and not take that kind of stuff so personally because yeah. the real important stuff is not getting solved right. you know our, uh, <laughs> people aren't getting educated people aren't getting opportunities our infrastructure is crumbling because we keep going on and on about this or that or Game of Thrones versus this or that I mean <laughs> it's just like come on people it's yeah. just, let's just calm down and I appreciate all the good stuff we've got and stop fighting
0: (laughs) yeah it will change. I can't guarantee it will be for the better, but it will change. So it, this is temporary, so whatever it is. But I get what you're talking about. Um, yeah. But I um, had a couple questions here. now. Uh, oh, um, I just wanted to mention some other books you've done since you know we're talking about your career and everything like that. So you've done some of those companion books. So you did a Krypton companion, a Batcave companion, and a supervillain book. I don't know if that said companion on the title. Is that all your books, plus the Dick Diadrano? And well, hero and all that? I did the Justice League companion too. Yeah, yeah so, I said that um, one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and
1: uh, the super villain book was a sequel to the superhero book. It was an encyclopedia oh, okay. A to Z, and that was for a publisher called uh, Visible Inc. Press.
2: So, oh, okay.
1: Uh, prob- yeah, probably best known for the movie hound uh, companion. Yeah. Uh, is yeah. that the, yeah. Did I get the name right?
0: Yeah, that um, sounds right. And yeah. the,
1: And those have been in print for a while, and they they still produce those, although, um, yeah, the... Uh, superhero book came out first and I was one of the contributing writers as was Andy Mangels Mm -hmm. and then I had a good relationship with the uh, editor of that and and she and I partnered uh, to edit Mm -hmm. the uh, co-edit the super villain book and I was one of the contributing writers of that as well so uh, let's see then Captain Action has had two printings a revised second edition Mm -hmm. Batcave Krypton uh, I'm I'm looking across the shelf right now them, so (laughs) I'm within eyeshot. Uh, Though, yeah, Hero Gogo being the last one. Uh, I've done um,
0: four regional
1: history books.
0: I was going to ask you about that because I saw some books about Concord. Is that you? Uh Uh-huh. Is that you? Hi, that's me. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah,
1: actually, in, in the case of North Carolina, it's actually pronounced Concord.
0: Concord. In, okay. Uh, Concord
1: right? mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. But uh, that's that's my hometown, Concord, North Carolina. Okay. And And um, when uh, after having lived in Portland, Oregon, for fourteen years, initially drawn out there by Dark Horse Comics, uh, in two thousand and seven, my wife and I moved back to our mutual native state, North Carolina, and we ended up in my hometown of Concord, although we don't live there now. We lived uh, uh, in Hurricane Alley on, <laughs> on the coast in a, in a beautiful uh, uh, town called New Bern, North Carolina, uh-huh. and it's uh, the colonial capital, so there's a lot of history here, and uh, mm-hmm. this is just a gorgeous city at two rivers. But, um... For four years, when living in Concord, I was the executive director of the uh, nonprofit organization that was a history organization, so um, I got to preserve the history, which was really an extension of what I had started to do at that point. This was uh, 2008 through 2012, so I already had five years of back issue under my belt mm-hmm. at that point and so i was thinking and i actually used this when i applied for the job um <laughs> so, you know, i've been chronicling comic book history and popular culture history and uh i i can do it with this too and i've got this publication you know record and and so i got this job and it was part-time and i still did that with back issue and wrote the books and um in 2012 i mean as i mentioned earlier that's what even when i was considering starting um retro fan, but at that point, let's see, I was editing back issue. I was the executive director of the history organization. I was the curator and uh, director of two small museums in town. I was writing these history books for Arcadia Publishing, which are largely uh, books that are photo-driven, but I had to dig up the photos and get the stories and, you know, collect the material and, and and write the captions and write the chapters and all that. And I was still writing the history books like the Krypton Companion and, and uh, you know, a second edition of Captain Action. And I was very active as a volunteer uh, with my church. I was on a church choir. <laughs> I was the Rotary Club, uh, the Hearing Loss Association of America. I was the state president I was having heart palpitations. Uh, I I was, I was, you know, I thought I was going to die. I mean, I I literally was like sleeping four hours a night. I was a fifty-something overachiever and just going, 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 and literally was burning myself. Uh, Yeah, to a frenzy. I just, I was burning out. and uh, i had to let some stuff go and i uh, slowly but surely cut off a few things mm-hmm. and that's why i'm a little reluctant to, to go back to a question you had earlier you know do another book because yeah. i i can get swept into this stuff and um <laughs> i just you know I, I'm, I still have tons of energy but I, the. Yeah. Battery isn't quite as boundless with the energy <laughs> as it was. Uh, I, even when I was in my 50s, you know, I, uh, I get tired earlier, you know, uh,
0: and I go to well, sleep earlier. I'm now. there now. I'm 53, so it's like. Uh, um, yeah, it, it's gonna be, every year it's going to be a little different, and, you know. And, and I, I know I mean, I, I'm working on a Mad Magazine book, and it's like, no, I'm not going to get this done in a year. It's going to take two, three, four years, five, ten if it has to. I just can't do it that fast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Mark,
1: you're smart to understand that. Yeah, because it will be better for you and better for the project
0: mm-hmm.
1: if if you have control of its deadline rather than its deadline having control of you. Yeah, and yeah, and 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 you also are fortunate and again good enough at this. You've done enough of this where you are able to take that time. To deliver the project that you want to, rather than uh, have to have it out to meet a, a, a slot uh, and a uh, you know, publishing window, that where you have to produce it maybe faster than is the best for your health. And I've been there, too, uh, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, more power
0: to you. I I, I guess on your uh, dream book, maybe you could kind of introduce it like a serialized chapters in RetroFan or back issue or something like that, just, you know, to kind of get it started, and then when you get enough together, oh, I got a book, you know, it's like... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I
1: think the thing that I I would need to do for that is, uh, you know, the the relevance book is to... uh, we'll have to have a couple of uh, conversations and uh, nice uh, interviews with a few people who were sort of the movers and shakers of this type of material. And obviously, Denny O'Neill is going to be one of them. Um, Green Lantern, Green Arrow in particular. Um, And, you know, I think Neil Adams, because he brought a lot Uh, to the table with that. And uh, Mike Friedrich was also somebody who was writing Justice League. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now Stan Lee's gone. I -hmm. can't talk to him about this. Mm -hmm. Um, Roy Thomas, I can talk to him. Uh, You know, Roy, when he was writing Avengers, just very subtly started to... uh, uh, he, He brought Black Panther into the Avengers roster and even had you know Black Panther unmasked on the cover of uh, like a late '60s uh, issue of Avengers. I cannot quote the issue number for you now, but it was a John DeSimone drawn cover, and and that was sort of influential at the time because you know Black Panther's very first appearances in Fantastic Four, he was still fully masked, right. um, even though it was a and historical you know moment to introduce. A black character into comics in the mid '60s, when Black Panther came along, uh, it wasn't touted on the cover. It is introducing the Black Panther. You know, it didn't have a blurb saying, "You know, comics' first black superhero," uh, <laughs> as they would have done this. They did in the '70s. You know, with yeah. by the time Luke Cage world Rome, we'd already had Shaft at that point. Uh, right. <laughs> first as a novel, then as a successful movie. So, um, then they were able to actually, uh, and then safely uh, trade on the ethnicity of the character. There was still a lot of backlash then. I know Marvel in particular in the early 70s was really doing their best to be inclusive, but they still had to fight against this distribution network that, especially here in the South where I live, uh, they were prejudiced. Mm -hmm. They uh, Some... Some books, even in the history of comics, as you very well know, like uh, all Negro comics, uh, other uh, books out there that were published for a a primarily black audience kind of got squashed uh, and and were short-lived because the distribution network would not allow them to get the type of distribution they needed to really find their audience. So, yeah, I mean, this racism has had its, you know, hooks into this business in different ways that you wouldn't even think about even though the creators were really trying to move it forward you know you can create all the comics you want but if they're not getting out there in the hands of the readers then you know it's, it's, it's difficult yeah. but so yeah, to me I'm passionate about the uh, social relevance era because that's when we literally had a transformation of uh, the ethnicity of the comic book superheroes and uh, you know, the uh, social issues really started to allow comics characters to grow right. and yeah, they started to deal with you know poverty and racism and um, you know the plight of the Native Americans and and these subjects, these were like Superman and, yeah. and you know Thor and all that I even mean, you know all this these characters that normally would have just thought. Oh, excuse me, fought, you know, (laughs) mythic or uh, alien creatures were kind of rolling up their sleeves and getting their hands dirty in
0: the the real world. Although I admit uh, they did some embarrassing things back then, where they did things like in Lois Lane, I Am Curious Black, and stuff like that. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, you can't, you, you, you
1: can't, I mean, and, and that was Bob Kaniger who wrote that, you know, and not, not only was that just kind of, I mean, you know, it was like one of these things where, okay, this is obviously a middle-aged white guy who is really trying to be with it, yeah. and he comes up with this thing, but and then the thing that just kind of adds insult to injury is he's, you know, he's, I know, poor God bless you, Bob Kaniger, if you're hearing me from the great beyond,
2: because
1: uh, <laughs> I know you were trying to do something. But, yeah. you know, even taking the title, I Am Curious Black, okay, well, that, as you, I'm sure, are aware, is a play on a s- title of a movie, but it was Soft court Right, right. <laughs> it was, you know, I Am Curious Yellow, it was, it was uh, like a, a new and in 1970, uh, when you know an R-rated movie, or maybe is the I don't know it was an R or was it an X. I don't know back then. I'm know. not <laughs> sure. But still, it was a movie that the kids ri- reading Lois Lane could not go and see. And, <laughs> and uh, it's like a couple of shades are wrong. Uh, my my all-time favorite. Comics writer was Bob Haney, you know, the Brave and the Bold and Teen Titans. And he wrote a lot of these stories back then, but he also was the kind of guy who was sort of like your grandpa, who was uh thinking he was cool, but he quite wasn't. But uh, I I love his stuff, though. He could, nobody could tell a story and make a plot like him. <laughs>
0: Um, you know, well, actually I'll just say this as an aside because we're talking about social consciousness one of the, my favorite articles doing for you in Back Issue is when I interviewed Bertram Fitzgerald who recently passed away a couple years ago uh, But yeah. for Golden Legacy and he did Fast Willie Jackson later we'll say that but <laughs> uh, but Golden Legacy is what he's most proud of and it went for 16 issues and it covered from Martin Luther King to uh, the uh, author of Three Musketeers I can't think Dumas is that his name and and, uh, you know, just all the people that he uh, covered, and he's very proud of that book. But you're talking about distribution. He had troubles, and, you know, it was Coca-Cola that actually came to the rescue on that. So, <laughs> but, Well, he was
1: definitely someone, you know, before his time with that as well. I mean, he yeah. he essentially, what I mean by that was he was, not just the fact that he was creating comic books that explored the lives of uh, influential African-Americans, but he was looking at other ways to sell the comic. Now, as as you're saying, that was partially in response to the, the woes of distribution, but <laughs> I seem to remember he was also relying upon like mail order and such. I mean, he was he was yeah. looking at ways to try to get his comics into the hands of readers. Right. And and you know you have to give him props for that too. Uh, yeah. And I can understand that that would be something he'd be very proud of. And he should he had every right to be proud of that too. Mm-hmm. And you know, past Willie Jackson too was pretty cool. comic as well that was just uh, kind of fun yeah
0: (laughs) Uh, his version of Archie if uh, (laughs) no one's aware of it (laughs) but anyway um, I don't have any real other questions I was just kind of curious Uh, oh just a couple of sides just because we're talking about different things when Batman when you're watching it on TV with Adam West (laughs) Uh and then it suddenly switched to like the more Realistic, like Neil Adams' versions and stuff like that, was that jarring to you, or were you getting older, so you, yeah, yeah, bat, my Batman should grow up and become a little more mature and less silly, or what was your take on that around that time?
1: Well, the the second part of your question, it was that, indeed, because uh, Batman kind of grew up with me, yeah, and uh, and you know, being my age too, I've actually witnessed that through as as I matured. And a lot of my contemporaries, you know, are, you know, a lot of guys who have been the movers and shakers of comic book continuity over the past several decades are still, you know, roughly my age, uh, some a little younger, some a little older, but nonetheless, we're, you know, late baby boomers and uh, early Gen Xers Mm -hmm. and, um To me, though, that's kind of a double-edged sword to have the comics world mature with you because when that happens, I mean, for every... uh, uh, One of the most things that I think we ever published in Back Issue was back in issue nine, uh, issue number 79 looked at the Charlton action heroes in the Bronze Age oh, yeah. and it concluded with Dan Johnson's interview with Dave Gibbons about Watchmen and Dave Gibbons bless his heart as we say here in the South was <laughs> almost apologetic for Watchmen not being ashamed of it of course no of course not as one of the most influential you know comic book uh, pieces ever, but he was kind of apologetic for the fact that so many people started to copy it, mm. and that what he and Alan Moore had uh, co-created as as a darker dystopian look at you know this postmodern take on superheroes, sort of over time became the norm as it became more and more uh copied so what i've seen with this maturation of the comic book world is yes okay yes gwen stacy died i mean that was one of the first big shocks i got as a reader and i was in my early teens at that point when that was happening
2: Mm -hmm.
1: uh and a lot of people say that was really the end of the Silver Age, even though know, we were several years into the Bronze Age when uh, Jerry Conway, uh, you know, killed Gwen Stacy an Amazing Spider-Man, but at that point though, you just sort of realize that okay, things can happen to these characters, and it might not be status quo next issue, and so you know, the readers. <laughs> over time, though, when you had more and more
2: real-world
1: infiltrate. The fantasy world of comics, what has happened, I think, is it's just strayed farther and farther away from being an entertainment medium for kids. Mm -hmm. And now it's rare you have a child know what a comic book is. However, conversely, (laughs) we've got families dressing up as the Incredibles or as, you know, Batman, Catwoman, Batgirl. Yeah, uh, and Harley Quinn, yeah. uh, and, and Robin. You know, it's just it's the the culture has never been more aware of the characters, but the comic books themselves right. have really just kind of been relegated to being a a, a seed medium for the larger popular culture. Right. And if that's what's keeping it alive, then you know. I mean, I'm glad something's keeping it alive. Yeah,
0: I and, think and bookwise, the shift yeah. is over to the graphic novels, though. You know, more like yeah. the Smile and the Geronimo Stilton or whatever it's called. You know, things like that. You know, <laughs> and uh, you know, and
1: again, that that shift though has shifted the readership toward the you know the twenty to thirty something. Or older, right. instead of the kids. I mean, uh, it's just, and, and I, 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 I'm always, I'm really the eternal optimist. But in this regard, you know, I just don't think there's going to we're going to go back to a time when kids are going to say, I want to read a comic book again. Right. Um, I just think that day has come and gone. Yeah. Uh, however, the characters will live on. Yes. And uh, and comics-type storytelling will continue, uh, but it might be in a medium that will be morphing even, you know, in the rest of my life and your life. Uh, mm-hmm. and we're witnessing it now. And so I'm just glad that we still have uh, these characters around. And mm-hmm. I hope that Underdogs are going to get a chance to get, uh, you know, well, they had that movie a couple of years ago but you know, to answer me this: uh, You're you're a big animation history uh, historian and 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 fan, but does every single Kids, an animated movie, have to be computer-generated today? Can't we have somebody draw something the a good old-fashioned way?
0: <laughs> well, I, I've said this for years. I may not have said it to you or in the back issue or anything. Is I think it was a secret plot by Disney to uh, destroy everybody else's characters by making live-action versions. They did a live-action Popeye originally, and then later on they did a live-action Mr. Magoo, a live-action Underdog, a live-action Inspector Gadget, a live-action Super Mario Brothers, you know... <laughs> it's just a secret plot because you notice there's no live action Mickey Mouse <laughs> so it's like <laughs> so well, it's a... yeah, yeah, I've, I've never thought of that but you might be right <laughs> you my... might be right so that's my theory about it all I don't know but you know I would like to s- I would love to see uh, Underdog fully flat Three Or, yeah, it could be 3D animated, but I think flat animation, underdog movie. And one that's better than, like, the Rocky and Bullwinkle movie they made about 10, 20 years ago. You know, that's, you know, it was animated well, but the story was kind of, you know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know yeah. something like that. Well, and, yeah, yeah. The classic Disney, I mean, the, the true
1: classics that used to get trotted out, you know, every, what,
0: eight years on yeah. uh,
1: uh, home video for a new issuance, but they, uh,
0: I mean Snow White. Yeah, now they're doing uh, it to their own movies. Yeah, but it's not Mickey Mouse, but it is. Yeah. You know, all the 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 theatrical feature films they did. Now they're doing live action versions, which is really but bizarre. But then, to old me. animation
1: still. <laughs> held up you know it it wasn't I mean I love Hanna-Barbera I grew up on Hanna-Barbera cartoons Mm -hmm. and and yes I do know that when you looked at the Flintstones cave from the outside it looked pretty small but inside (laughs) it was cavernous because when Dino was chasing Fred you know they would pass Eighty windows and 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 eighty chairs but next to that window—they all look the same. It was in this loop, you know, the Hanna Barbera living room loop. But you know, that kind of come on—the the animation was extremely limited. But the uh, uh, you know, well, the animation was, and maybe the imagination was, since they were all kind of parodies of right. other shows. From but still, I love that stuff, yeah. and the characters were just—they did all the Hanna Barbera stuff of the '60s just had some. Primitive
0: coolness to well, it. Well, earlier and, you uh, mentioned that Ralph Bakshi, Mighty Mouse, Did you, you've seen the one where he gets trapped in a Hanna-Barbera-type TV show and he's oh, yeah, running past yeah. the same... Mighty Mouse is running past the same table with a plant on it and then he looks down three-dimensionally and he sees like this whole row of just the same table and plant on it. <laughs> going, <laughs> but he's passed 30 times already in the background. You know, it's just kind of... <laughs> you know
1: classic, and now for us,
0: Mm -hmm. as as, uh, lifelong fans and historians, I mean, that's just, that's part of the lore, Mm -hmm.
1: you know, the Mm -hmm. L-O-R-E. (laughs) <laughs> and, and the lure The lure and the lure, lure. Yes. Uh, Boy, I'm glad nobody ever had that as a title The brave and the bold is easy to say But the lure and the lure would, uh, Yeah, I, I don't know uh, uh, That's not when you would go ask for the comic shop If you stop by the pub like, first So, you know, well, I can copy it the lure and the lure, please but, uh, <laughs> That's another anyway. title I, <laughs> No <laughs> <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> chance to write a spider ham again i will name this story the lore <laughs> and
0: the lure uh
1: yeah it, it works better in print than it does verbally
0: <laughs> and, and you can have Punfisher in it there <laughs> 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 all right well i've enjoyed talking to you is there anything you'd like to plug or how people can get a hold of you or what's coming up uh, in the next couple issues of back issue and uh, retrofam
1: well, let's see. Um, r- the most immediate issues, uh, I mentioned the Guardians of the Galaxy, one uh, issue, uh, issue 119, uh, in March for... Uh, back issue, and it looks like the issue that was shipping in March for Retrofan Issue Eight is now coming out in late February instead. And some people are actually already getting their copies. Okay. And it has the cow seals on the cover, and uh, it's got Electro Woman and Dyna Girl, or the Flintstones, uh, June Lockhart, uh, Mad Magazine in the 70s, uh, Mars Attacks. That's the one. That's just wonderful. It's a really cool issue. And so those are the next immediate issues. But after that, um, Retrofan 9 has Reb Brown, the uh, 70s tv captain america in it and um and also an interview with william daniels the former president of the screen actors guild who uh played captain nice in that buck henry superhero <laughs> spook tv show he and his wife bonnie bartlett are interviewed and they are a delight uh it's, it's literally like you're kind of sitting in the living room with your grandma and grandpa who uh, have emmys and uh, And he talks about Captain Nice, which... I mean, this is a man who was the singing John Adams on Broadway and (laughs) in film in 1776. Uh He was... The voice of Kit mm. and Night Rider. Yeah, but he was—he's—he's—he's he's, he's done a number of things that are out there, uh, like Captain Nice. But he never, in, at least in many years, has not been interviewed about it. I think—I don't know. I think people have kind of been scared to <laughs> go to him, the guy who started saying elsewhere and boy, you know, uh, uh, boy meets world, and and ask him about, God, uh, you remember that superhero thing he used to be in? You know, at the <laughs> beginning of your career. And but but Dan Hagen is, uh, did he he wrote this piece and and uh, he wrote a piece on Captain Nice for uh, Retrofan Nine and interviewed uh, Bill Daniels and had the added bonus of his wife Bonnie Bartlett wow. being there. Cool. And and they did they, they end the interview by saying we need to go to the post office. And it's like, it's such a couple thing. You know, okay, well, bye. It's nice talking to you. You know, here we go. You just kind of imagine them getting in their car and going to the post office together and maybe stopping at the grocery store to pick up uh, some milk or something on the way home. But it was just so down to earth. I loved it. I loved it. But they still told some great stories uh, about the TV shows and um, about being on wires and flying and stuff. And so it was, yeah, it was it was fun. So, and then after that, uh, issue 120 of uh, back issue is Heroes of Tomorrow, which has a great Steve Lytle uh, Monel and the Legion of Superheroes cover, mm. and uh, a lot of stuff about heroes from the future, from Marvel's Paradox uh, to DC's Manhunter 2070, uh, uh, as well as a Legion and a lot of other fun stuff. So mm. I'm going to keep producing these magazines and occasionally a book, as long mm. as there are wonderful people out there who want to read this stuff, and I'm just happy have an audience and uh, happy that you're interested enough to want to talk to me today so thank you
0: thank you very much and uh, how did they get a hold of you or what websites or anything you want to plug
1: well uh, tomorrow's uh, www.twomoros.com W-S, which I spelled
2: that
1: wrong? Tomorrow's, that's (laughs) embarrassing for the editor-slash-writer to misspell. Uh, Good thing this isn't a spelling bee. you're out of here. Uh, Tomorrow's.com or Mm -hmm. RetroFan.org. Both RetroFan and Back Issue have active Facebook pages, and um, we always are welcoming people uh, to come and join the fun with those groups. Uh, However, there is a bit of a disclaimer, editorial disclaimer, that the tones of the magazines are positive, and uh, the tones of the Facebook pages are as well. And the Back Issue in particular, we have over 10,000 members in that group. It's oh. very vibrant and active, but uh, it takes some policing. And John Trumbull, who is an occasional uh, contributor to Back Issue, is the chief administrator with me kind of as a deputy uh, the Facebook page. And uh, every now and then people just get a little out of control. Not often, <laughs> but yeah. we just, I mean, come on, there's enough snark out there. And, um, and also some of the creators who created Bronze Age comics are members of our group. And so every now and then somebody will write something insulting yeah. there and they're on that page. And yeah. so, yeah. no, I just ask anybody to, if you're going to make a post, you have the right to, you know, be critical of the work, but don't be hypercritical and mean, right. you know, um, right. Yeah, just just remember downright that. Downright uh,
0: crass and rude.
1: <laughs> exactly, and some people can be that way, and, and then that, that's that's rare. And most of the people who are on the back issue group are 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 fine and understand that. But I like for the the uh, back issue, excuse me, the Facebook pages to mirror the tones of the magazine. Mm-hmm. And um, however, that's a little tougher to do when you've got ten thousand voices chiming in. But uh, but overall, it's so it's a lot of fun. And, and people get to, uh, you know, swap stories about the past. And every now and then you'll get somebody like, um, you know, Steve Lytle or, uh, Dan DiDio or, you know, someone, uh, chime in too, uh, with, the, with their recollection. So, wow, how cool is that? No other <laughs> medium, uh, really gives, fans that level of immediacy right. uh, and intimacy uh, to the creative base that comics does. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, we're fortunate to have that.
0: All right. Well, I want to thank you, Michael Yuri for being my special podcast guest today. And uh, thank
1: you, Mark Arnold, for inviting me. I really had a good time. Hope I didn't talk your ear off.
0: That's fine. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. And <laughs> looking forward to many, many years more of uh, retro fan and back issue. Thank you. So am I. And thanks again for your time. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye now. Bye. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Michael Yuri, for being my special guest. Episode number 67 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew, the Slow Poisoner, Goldfarb, and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2020, Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you, and good night.
2: Adiós el